For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening, that means leading the line from the front and wearing the captain's armband is Patrick. So Patrick, I hope all is well my friend and how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, I'm really good, man. Since we last spoke, we were pointing at Conte, right? So I've been learning Italian, so I've got the, the phrase book in. And yeah, man, I'm just happy, happy to be here. Happy to be with you good guys. So yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Well, tonight you're also joined by our new regular signing, that being Ryan. He impressed so much last week. We discussed terms off the show. He's back on a permanent deal. How are things with you, my friend? Yes, very well. Thank you, Dan. Happy to be uh, part of the team. Lead the line with Patrick, the big man. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here every Monday. Top man. Also making his debut this evening. I've gone all out. There's signings everywhere. It's Alan Clark. Alan, it's a pleasure to have you on board. I hope you're ready to chat all things Spurs. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, debut. Hopefully I can impress as much as Ryan did last week. I don't know how he managed that, but, yeah, we'll see if I can give it a good go. <laughs> well, you can only give it your best shot, can't you? So, before we do all of that, yeah. let's get the social media bits out of the way so we can dissect the last week and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Comedy Spurs app where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at COIS underscore COM. We're on all the major audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let me know. I'll get it sorted for you. And if you listen on Apple, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating. Right, let's get down to business. And that business is a rather whirlwind week, shall we say. And although we discussed the sacking of Nuno last Monday at length, shall we say, we took a leap of faith slightly and assumed that Conte was going to be his replacement. Patrick, as you've just alluded to, we don't have to assume no more. Exactly that. So, I mean, it's kind of, as it's almost been a week, it's almost not swept under the carpet, but it's on the back burner. But what a fantastic appointment. I mean... You know, Levy has a lot of naysayers. A lot of people aren't his biggest fan, me included. But to pull, you know, to pull the plug on, or bring the axe out on Nuno after ten games, he, he's effectively admitted he's made a mistake. He's held his hands up, and then we've gone out and got the best option out there—a world-class manager, a winner, a leader, one of the best guys we've seen that's come into the Prem. I mean, whenever Conte stepped into a team. He's completely evolved and adapted that team and they've essentially gone on to win things that season or the season after. So we're just rubbing our, our hands together at this prospect and hoping he can do the same for us. And if he can, then we're all going to be happy. It's going to take time, of course, but what an amazing appointment. Um, you know, you when you talk about Tottenham and showing ambition and Levy really like proving to the fans and to the players that are still here that he wants to try and win things and turn things around, there's no better manager to appoint than Conte. Now, Ryan, I know we discussed what we hope and expect from Conte and his arrival last week. So how glad are you that the deal is finally over the line, even if it needed a four-month delay and a sacking of another manager to get to finally where we are? Oh, it's the best appointment you could hope for as a Tottenham fan. Obviously, it's frustrating it didn't happen in the summer. It would have been a lot easier for us as a squad to adapt to his, his style of play get used to his training methods and what he wants from us. But so if hands and butts, it didn't happen. We had to learn the hard way under Nuno. But we've it's, we've got him now. He's ours. And by the sounds of it, obviously reading reports today that the players absolutely love what they're doing in training, love 
how he's coming across, the first few meetings. And he's obviously had two games with us already, but it's going to take a bit of time to get to where we want to be under him. It's going to take time for certain players in certain positions to get used to his demands. But as a Tottenham fan, you can only you can only get excited about this guy. Now we've just got to hope that the club back him, give him who he wants and what he wants. And I think the ceiling's so high for us under this guy as long as we give him the facilities and back him in everything that he wants. And Alan, of course, the appointment of Antonio Conte has for a week at least, or maybe hopefully a little bit longer, unified the fan base. It was fractious, shall we say, while Nuno was in charge during his short tenure. But there is really a feel-good factor across social media, everywhere really, with the arrival of our new manager. Yeah, I think um, this was done by Levy because of the, especially against Man United, when they started booing Nuno's decisions and then started chanting for Levy out. I think he's reacted upon that more than anything else because I don't think he's ever been in that position. And it was instantaneous, which I didn't expect. I thought it was going to be some time before. I thought it was going to give us some more time. But he's acted quick. He's got in the right manager. Um, and the fan base can all get behind that because the last time we haven't had a world-class manager in the peak of his powers in manager of Spurs in my lifetime. So to have somebody who is at that level, because Mourinho had gone like five or six years past his best, um, to have somebody like that who gets results if you give him the tools. And Daniel Levy's put himself in a position now where if he doesn't back Conte, he's basically exposed himself to Spurs fans as somebody who's good for business, but not good to give us the trophies or, or want to win the trophies. So for me, that's a unified fan base because it's the right man in charge at the right time. And with the potential of the right funds for the once a manager getting backed fully, it says for me that we could have success for the, like maybe not this season, but next season. So of course, all the fans are going to buy into that. We'll just have to wait and see if that is the case. Yeah, of course we can't, by anyone until January, so those funds won't be spent until the new year. But what we can discuss tonight is the first piece of business in the technical area. That was Thursday. And Patrick, the first half an hour against Vitesse, you're thinking, hang on, this is the Tottenham of old. Where's this been hiding the last couple of months? As starts go, it couldn't have got any better, could it? Exactly. It's like (laughs) we saw the best and the worst of Tottenham (laughs) in that game. And to be fair, I was almost thinking, like, maybe this is what we needed because if Conte was to get us winning 4, 5, 6 nil, people are like, huh, what's going on here? This is a good team. So for him to see the good and the bad in one, you know, dose of 90 minutes, he really understands the problems that we have. I mean, we've got a, a great attacking front three, front four, five players that, you know, when, on, when they're one point and when they turn up, we can give it to any team. But at the same time, you can see our defensive frailties, we score, you know, we concede one goal, we go to pot, we concede another, we're shaky and tentative. Uh, we saw, you know, some poor passes, poor distribution, Romero losing his head. So we saw a lot of things that need to be nipped in the bud. And um, to be fair, I, I, I like that we saw this early and hopefully if we can get it out of our system now. Conte went strong, which I was really impressed with. He went with what he would consider his best eleven. So we almost got a, a, a gimme game in, a freebie before the weekend. So he's got to see the players twice now. And um, yeah, he knows that. I mean, and what I like as well is, um, like, for example, uh, the extra, he spent like 30 minutes extra before a, a press session 
to to let the guys know that we're training, we're working on things. He's come out and said on a number of occasions, I'm going to need time. This is going to take time. Give me time. Basically just setting, you know, tampering expectations because we're all excited. We all know he's the real deal. We all expect a lot, but it's not going to happen at the flick of a switch. Ryan, I think you made a similar point, didn't you, in the sense that Conte is going to learn more when it went rather bad for Tottenham. As Patrick says, if you're winning 3-4-0, it's great, but it almost kind of papers over the cracks and masks actually the issues that have been quite pertinent at Tottenham over the last few months. So, yes, we won. Yes, it was far from perfect, but Conte will actually look at that and think, right, now I know what I need to deal with. He, he couldn't have asked for a better game, to be honest, for his first game. Like Patrick alluded to just then, he saw the best of our attack and the worst of our defence. So he knows going forward shouldn't be a problem. Obviously, we've had a few games this season where there's been no shots on target. But we know the quality of Kane and Son that we've got up top. But looking at that game defensively... You could imagine him working on that throughout the week after that game. The two days training he had before the Everton game, he would have worked on that constantly in training. So he's he's seen exactly what he wanted. I know he said after the game, obviously that he doesn't like he does not like those games. The crazy games aren't for him. He, we all know Conte style. He one nil, two nil wins, defensively strong football he'll be happy with but as fans we know it's going to take time we know he's got to learn more about his squad so to see that in his first game it was perfect for us as fans now Alan when you consider that of the 11 that started against Vitesse 10 of them featured against Manchester United the transformation really was night and day. Now, I know it's not the same competition and it's not through the lens of Premier League football, but it does make you think, hang on, the players are there. They can turn it on when they need to. And as everyone else has sort of said, that we saw yin and yang of that performance. But it kind of makes us least believe that we're not a foregone conclusion, a busted flush for the season ahead. Uh, no, exactly. I mean, it goes to show that like, uh, the a world-class manager will get the best out of the team. You could see they were up for it. They wanted to run. They wanted to give everything. And this Tottenham team hasn't been one for running uh, and giving everything in games. It's been quite a, a lacklustre start to the season. So it shows that there's a lot within this team that's there and able to you know, perform on a consistent basis. It's just we haven't been seeing it, whether that's when the players didn't believe in Nuno, didn't like his tactics. But you can see in the first couple of games, I mean... Even getting to like the other game later, there was a lot more intensity and a lot more running in that game, although it didn't lead to anything. But it just goes to show that the players look like they want to play. They believe in Conte. They believe in the idea of where we want to go now. And it looks like they're willing to give everything. And hopefully that will go for anyone with that team because Conte is going to give them a chance. And that, hopefully that will have people that are on the fringes want to actually perform and, and give everything to him. So... Hopefully in the coming weeks we'll see a team that's doing everything they can, running themselves into the ground to impress Conte to be in part, part of his plans for the future. Well, let's move on to the style of play that Conte could use. There's a couple of options. And Chris, who was on the show last week, has asked the question to us all. So thanks, Chris, for sending this one in. He asked, Patrick, do you reckon it's going to be a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2? Which, when you kind of outline those two systems... It might boil down at the moment to a choice between Undumbele in the middle or Lucas further forward. So what do you think it will, will be the case 
say, I don't know, Leeds after the international break, what do you reckon that will be? I think because Leeds play quite rock and roll football, we'll probably go 3-5-2 in that game. Um, and to be fair, Conte is quite... I know he always he, he usually sticks to three at the back, but he can change things up. So I think depending on the team, we'll probably see how we set up. But 3-5-2 against Leeds... We have to try and get the best out of a creative midfielder in that starting eleven. Because when I look at, as much as I love Hoiberg and Skip, one of them has got to be sacrificed for some creativity. But then at the same time, because we're not that great defensively, it's a real hard one. I understand what Conte's trying to do. And obviously at this moment in time, he's really assessing the team as he's on the job. He's learning as we play, which is obviously difficult. And why a manager of his stature and calibre doesn't like to come in you know, mid-season or 10 games in because it's a lot harder to really get a grip and a grasp of the team. But we can't do Hoiberg and Skip at the same time because, like, as you saw against Everton, we pretty much controlled the football and really controlled most of the possession and, and, and phases of that game. But there was no real quality in that final third and no shots on target tells its own story. So we need somebody to pick a pass or create something in that middle. I know Mora can get on the ball and run at players, but is he a creative player? Not really. So three five two ideally, with somebody sacrifices in one of the CDMs or number eights or number sixes, as you like to call it, for a creative player that can do something. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot of games where we're struggling to score or create chances. And obviously, to win games, you need to score goals. Ryan, how do you reckon this is going to be solved then? If you were Conte, what would you be lining up against Leeds? Because we've sort of seen what can be done and Patrick has made great sense in terms of the middle that we haven't really got someone who can unlock or at least link midfield, midfield to attack, shall I say. So what do you reckon the resolve is here? Against Leeds, I think he will. he's not got a choice, I don't think. Obviously, Oliver Skips got suspended for that game with his fifth yellow card against Everton. So I do think we will see an Endombele next to Hoiberg. I think he will push him straight in the middle to get a bit more drive through that midfield. Obviously, Ndombele is one of, if not the only midfielder who can pick the ball up and carry it for us and push the team further up the field. But going forward, I think the only time we might see Hoiberg and Skippers appearing now is the Chelsea's, the Liverpool's and Man U games. I think they're the sort of games he'll go a bit more protective of the defence, whereas like like Patrick said, Leeds are they're just hot and cold Leeds all the time. You don't know what Leeds you're going to get. But I do think the form that they're in at the minute, he will go all out for that one. And we will see an Ndombele, Lucas, Song, Kane. So hopefully we go like that. Hoiberg, sit back. Obviously with Skip, Hoiberg does like to get forward a lot more, try and get involved in the attacks, even though that's not his strongest part of his game so I, I I can see that but like I say future reference I can only see a Hoiberg skip partnership for the big games the Chelsea City's teams like that well Alan let's look wider on the pitch because what do you make of Ryan Sessegnon's future at the club Chris who asked the question earlier has been kind enough to pose another one he says, is there any chance of him overthrowing Reguillon at left wing-back when you look at what he did in the Bundesliga or is his Tottenham ship starting to sail now? For me, that's really too early to uh, say. He's been out, he's had a lot of injuries since coming to us and he hasn't had a chance to regularly play. I think he'll get a chance on the Conte. I think Conte wants to have a look at everyone who's there and see what they're about. Um, but 
for like in the near future, I think he'll, I think he'll be surplus to requirements in the fact that he won't be every game. He might be cup games to give him a run, but uh, Regulon has got that place, uh, the left back, left wing back, like nailed down because Davies is being currently used in the left back, which is Conte has done previously at Chelsea, where I think he had Azpilicueta inside of. Um, whoever the left-back was, um, Victor Moses or something like that. So Conte likes to have a left-back or a left-wing uh, left-back in the third centre-back role. So I don't think Sessegnon going to be a regular starter when he finally comes back into it. But he's just been blighted by injuries, so it's a bit unfortunate for him. But for me, I don't see anyone getting past Regulon at this moment in time in that position. At the same time, Patrick, is it bad news for wingers in general, namely Steven Bergvine and Brian Hill? Because when you consider the systems that we've discussed, they may end up being the odd men out here. Yeah, that's the problem. And it's quite hard to, you know, Conte's come in. We know he has a type of system and a setup. And unfortunately, players will miss out. And, um, you know, when you look at the, the quality of our attacking players, Son and Kane are always going to get in that team. And then you pretty much have a scrap or fight for that extra upfront place. Will it be Lucas? Will it be Bergeron? Will it be uh, Brian Gill? It's going to be hard. Um, maybe even Lo Celso if he's not played in the middle. Because uh, we know for Argentina, he does like to roam on one of those wings. So you've got a lot of players fighting for that final spot. At the moment, it's been given to Lucas. Um, but we know as, you know, as much as I like Lucas, he's always a game away from being a headless chicken, so to speak. So I think that spot is up for grabs. But yeah, it's quite difficult to fit them all in. Um, we do have a lot of games. Um, obviously, we've got the Conference League as well. So we'll see players get a run out in that. But I've seen him say he's not going to alienate the squad and effectively have two tyres like Nuno did, which upset your likes of your Harry Winkses, your Dele Alli's, your players that thought they would never make that step from the second to the first team. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what he does um, and how he goes about it, because we know how good of a manager he is. But effectively, you can only have 11 on at the same time. Right, obviously, there were high hopes for Brian Hill when he signed, and there still are. You know, it, by far, he's not written off. But does he have to be careful not to fall into the trap, which has happened in the past in football in general, where you're signed by one manager, it all goes tits up very quickly, and then you're quickly forgotten by the new man in charge? Yeah, he's got a, got quite a fight on his hands at the minute, Brian Hill. But as as a young lad, obviously, uh, just coming back from injury, when he gets the time to impress in training he's still got a lot of time to learn a new role in the team so if Conte goes for a different formation he can maybe push in the middle maybe he he could turn out to be a playmaker we've been missing obviously not sure yet because we've not seen enough of him but he's got enough I think he's got enough quality already to learn and understand the new position especially under a Conte who will drill it into him session after session but it's, it is unless he's just using that wing forward role. I don't see him getting over Lucas. I think the benefit Lucas and Bergvine have over Hill is the pace. If he goes with them three up top, it's clearly for the counter attacks. And if you're going to have Kane and Hill together up there and just using Son's pace, it's not going to benefit us in any way. So Lucas and Bergvine will always have the nod on him there, but. Like I say, you never know with a player like that. Conte might have something completely different in mind. He could try and transform him into some sort of wing-back for us, getting up and down the wing, doing something different like that. So it's 
at the same time as he must be nervous for his position and his time at Tottenham already, it's probably a little bit exciting for him as well to learn new things under a manager like Conte, a serial winner who, like we said, he's done... He's won leagues with Ashley Young and Victor Moses at wing-back, so anything's possible for us. Well, this is it, Alan, because you can grasp the opportunity with both hands when you think about it, and Ryan's made the two perfect examples there, Victor Moses and Ashley Young, that he could just be playing wing-back, and not to sort of advocate that it would be first choice over Emerson Royale, but there is scope that, in essence, he's still quite a raw talent. You can mould him, he's not set in his way. So, although he might be a bit fearsome in the fact that he's moved to a new country, the man who signed him is no longer the Tottenham manager... The replacement is arguably the best you can get, so it's not all bad for the Spaniard. Exactly. I mean, Conte is a world-class manager, so he's not... Brian Hill is touted as one of the best young Spanish players, so he's not going to just put him out to pasture. He's going to give him a chance. He's going to try and develop his game. He's going to try and, you know, see if he can mould him into a right-wing bag, maybe even in the middle. You know, you you don't quite know. He's a very technically gifted um, young player, is he also... I think you can adapt his role in many different ways rather than just on the right-hand side or, or on, a, on a wing. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But Conte is not going to... If Conte sees a talent, a young talent who's already there at his disposal, he's going to try and mould him into a, into a player. So I think, you know, Hill, even Tanganga, he's even said apparently Skip, Deli Ali, he likes all of them as players. So it's not like he's just putting... or forgetting about people. I think he's going to be able to develop quite a few of them players. Um, and hopefully he'll find a place in their system. But for me, Hill's a very good youngster, a very good youngster. And if he's developed right and given game time, he could be a future, you know, f- future great of the game. So we just have to wait and see. But I think Conte will see that in him. Staying with you, Alan, because by the same token, there's always players that seemingly get a new opportunity. And you mentioned earlier Ben Davis. I think is the striking example of someone who's not come out the darkness, but he's not really been in favour under Nuno. Do you think part of that is due to the fact he has got a raft of Premier League experience, being a Welsh international, Conte would have known what he would have done and what he could do during his time as Chelsea manager. So he's not kind of alien to what Davis mm. is a, 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 sorry, able to offer us. So it's kind of a steady hand at the back while we have to wait till January to sign new players. Yeah, exactly. So for me, Ben Davies, if I'm right in thinking, he does play on the left-hand side of the back three for Wales. So right. he's, got that, he's got that experience. You know, and it's that cover of when uh, Conte likes to play in his system, he likes to have the wing-backs push on. He likes the cover of the people that we have to cover the channel should we get countered. He likes somebody who knows that role too. So that's why Ben Davis has fit in quite well, I think, in the last two games. He he has the odd moment where he goes, you know, he gets, I mean, let's take the Man United game, he got quite opposition a couple of times for you know against them. But I think under Conte in this system, I think he's going to be playing to the best of his ability. I still think it's a, a place where we can improve with a stronger signing, but he seems to be competent in that role at the moment, um, covering for Regulon when he's bursting forward. So I think it's a good fit for him. So I think you'll see a couple more players like that who can fit into a different place under this Conte, under Conte and under this system. Well, Patrick, it reminds me of the system that Mourinho tried to play during his Tottenham tenure at the start of it with a kind of lopsided wing-back almost, where as Reguillon bombs forward, Davis then shifts to left and everyone kind of comes round a bit. So it's kind of not a million miles away from what we've seen, but it already seems as if Conte is going to implement it a lot better. Yeah, it does. It does. And uh, Ben Davis is um, probably thanking his lucky stars. Yeah. 
that we've got Conte in because he was out in the cold. He was out in the lurches. Didn't look like he was ever going to get back into the team. As I stated before, he was one of those players that wasn't happy in the second tier, only playing conference games. And now he pretty much looks like he's a set or dead cert as um uh, as we've rightly alluded to earlier um in terms of that LCB you know uh, third centre back left-footed centre-back that can slot in as like as you, as you stated we bomb forward on that left-hand side Reggie is up and down that left-hand side Ben Davis drops in and essentially becomes the third centre-back I have a lot of reservations though I'm not sure about Ben Davis if I'm being honest I'm not that yeah I'm just not sure of his quality against um against Vitez or Vitez however you pronounce it um we're very lucky we didn't have VAR in that game because he definitely brought the man down in the box really early on. And if there was VAR or the ref was competent, that would have been a penalty. And he's quite rash. We saw it against Everton as well. Misses a lot of challenges and tackles, really slow to get to the ball and always takes the man out. So I really do think if we're going to do that whole, you know, lopsided, uh, uh, was it left winger, left fullback drop in as the third centre-back, we need better quality there. Uh, if we're going to actually try and push on and challenge, because Ben Davis isn't it. But I want to be positive and obviously back the players, uh, give everyone a fair shot, like Conte saying, uh, and see what happens. You never know. We could see a resurgence in him, but I think we've all seen enough to know that he's probably not the answer going going forward, as in, you know, pushing us on. Yeah, because a few weeks back, we said that Ben Davis doesn't really have a future in a Tottenham shirt. Football is very strange. It moves in mysterious ways, and the manager gets sacked, and all of a sudden he has a chance again but for me I think if he's a stopgap until January in this system as I say because Conte knows what he can do and it's something that suits the way that Conte wants to play and he can sort of slot in then okay but if we're kind of still pressing ahead with this till April May with Davis at the back you kind of think well the opportunities of winning trophies and getting to the top of the table might diminish but also it could diminish Ryan with Eric Dyer in the team because you look at him against Vitesse that's a basic error it's a corner for someone of his experience he shouldn't be getting beaten like that so I'm not saying you know, that's going to ruin his Tottenham future because he seems to be the most trusted centre-back we've got, which says a lot about his contemporaries. But really, for Dyer's ilk, that's not a goal that we should be conceding. No, but he has got it in him. We've seen it in yep. so many games now. The He just seems to lose that sp- split concentration. And as soon as he's lost that, it seems to lose us, whether it be a lead or puts us behind in a game he's... He's got the same, exactly the same as Davinson Sanchez. He's got the exact same thing about him. I do see Eric Dyer now. He will obviously be one of the first-choice centre-backs up till January. I think Conte's main aim in January will be for a creative midfielder, and I think he will want two centre-backs, one to replace Dyer, one to replace Davis. Obviously, he'll keep them in the squad. For the Conference League games, the FA Cup games and Carabao Cup if we get past West Ham. But it's not... I think it's always going to be a worry for Tottenham fans when we go into a game and we see Eric Dyer and Ben Davis in the same defence. Romero is new. We've, we, we see how raw he is to this league and how rash he is. He's quite impatient with his tackles, which can cause a lot of problems. Obviously, he got his red card against Vitesse, which don't help us. But it's Dyer doesn't... He, he did well against Everton, Dyer. And when he does play well, he does actually stand out because he is... You can always hear him talking to his defenders, to the midfielders. He's very vocal on the pitch. He's 
quite a leader when you look at him, but he's just I just don't think he's good enough for us, especially under Conte. Now, Alan, the red card has just been mentioned for Romero on Thursday. Yes, he's rash. Yes, he can be a bit niggly. But is that the kind of fine line you're going to get with the Argentine? Because if you kind of remove that rashness, you kind of lose what he is as a defender. So is that the kind of example where you have to take the rough with the smooth sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. he. Uh, in everything I've ever seen him play, he's he's exactly that player. So, you know, you people credit him for the... Um, Cobb America and what he done in Italy, so he's he's a good defender in doing that. And like you say, occasionally he can be caught out by it. But the only thing I think that can make you know you may be able to develop into his game is the when to do that and when not to, because he seems to like to do it a, a lot. And I think that may get you into more trouble the, se- the longer a season goes on or a, with a game. I think you may pick up more cautions or bookings throughout a season. So I think that's the only thing that needs to. There's sometimes where he could just stay back and not do that. Um, so he likes a challenge, which is good because sometimes our defenders just, like in previous seasons, just don't like a tackle and go missing. So it, it's good that he likes to go up against strikers and show that he's there, you know, to keep the strikers off their game. But I think he just needs to develop it or add to his game when to do that and when not to, because he just seems to want to do it all the time. But you know, I like a defender who likes to get in the face of the uh, strikers and not give them an easy game. Like, unfortunately, previous seasons with our defenders where we've allowed def- uh, strikers just to boss us all game. So I like that and that he's different to what we currently have. Ryan, what have you made of the other element of our new South American connection? Emerson Royale, what did you make of his showing on Thursday? Uh, I think since Conte's come in, I think he's been our uh, best player. I think he seems to really enjoy the wing-back role, the freedom to actually get up the pitch and join in the attacks. Obviously, knowing that Christian Romero will slot in next to him or Hoiberg or Skip, if they've stayed back, they will just slot straight in at the right-back to cover for him. I think he's been a lot more exciting than he was in the 4-4-2 formation. He he seemed very reserved when we only had four at the back, as if he didn't didn't want to mess up too early in his Tottenham career. He didn't want to get forward and leave his man near Costa's goals. But under this new formation, he's got a lot more protection behind him now. So the only thing I think him and Regulon have got to do now, I think Conte will have them both in extra shooting practice because our chances seem to be falling to those two, mainly at the minute. So I can see him getting a few goals this season, but I do see him in a lot more shooting practice. As long as he doesn't leave his defensive role completely as long as he just doesn't forget about it and see himself as a wing forward then I think he can thrive under us especially under Conte and Ryan same with you in terms of the Europa Conference League itself qualification is now in our hands at least are you optimistic that we can win both remaining matches and secure automatic entry to the round of 16 I'll be very disappointed if we don't hmm. win both games I think they obviously Ren from the uh French league, they're a they're a decent outfit, but in this competition, it's there's not many great teams in this competition. It shouldn't be difficult for us. Obviously, it's Tottenham; they'll make it difficult. That's the only way we know how to play football matches. But I'll be very very upset if we don't win both games. And to be honest, I'll I'd probably be quite upset if we didn't win the tournament now, especially under Conte. I think it's something that we should now be aiming for more than most other things that we've got going ahead this season 
get past Wren after the international break. Obviously, then we're away to NS Mora. But I think you, I think you'll go full strength against Wren as well. I think you'll just want that qualification done, get it out of the way, and then we can concentrate on the league till the next rounds open up in February. Well, let's be honest, Roma shouldn't be feared either because I know it's the all Jose Mourinho link, but they lost six one to Bodo Glimpse, they then drew two all with Bodo Glimpse. Now that they might maybe eat my words at the end of the season as they win the competition, but you kind of look at it now, and if Tottenham can do their bit, there's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't be favourites under Conte. You know, it changes dramatically, really. And although we kind of go, we're the Europa Conference League. If our league form isn't quite kicking on as we want it, we might need that to get into the Europa League and so on and so forth. So with that in mind, Patrick, talking of optimism, we need to temper it a little bit because of a draw at Everton. But in the context of the Premier League, it's not a disaster because although we've got a new manager, we don't have a new team. So going to Everton is not the worst point in the world, is it? No, it's not. And I said that, I, I tweeted it after the game. I said, listen, obviously I'm pissed that we dropped points, but those are the kind of games where if you do not win, you do not lose it. You don't lose a game like that. You make sure you go away with something. Yeah, both teams weren't really on it on the day. But Everton, you saw what they were doing. The tactics were disgraceful. They were literally rolling around every time someone lightly touched them. They were trying to get our players sent off. Richarlison was just doing ridiculous things. And the referee didn't pull him up on it. You know, Regalon was on a yellow. They were trying to target him. So we had to get him off. So it was one of those games. And to be fair... Um, you know, we, I wouldn't say we were amazing. We weren't, but we did probably control most of the possession passages of play and uh, have probably more of the better football. And obviously, the Celso hit the hit in the post just a couple more inches. We go and nick that one. So it was a it was a tough game. Everton away is never going to be easy. They were up for it. You could see the crowd was really at it. And those are the kind of games where you could easily lose it. So yeah, we weren't at our best, but at least we got something out of it. And you'll see, you know, all around the, the, the league, you know, Liverpool dropped three points. Uh, Chelsea dropped points at home to Burnley. So, you know, the Premier League is 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 uh, volatile and anything can happen. So, all in all, you probably look back later on in the season and say, you know what, that was a good point. But, of course, where we are right now, we need to start winning games. So, of course, we all want better. But it's not the end of the world. And it's Conte's first game in charge. So, we've also got to be, like you're saying, Dan, we've got to be realistic and also sometimes take a step back and not be too reactionary with it. Well, Alan, if you listen to Conte's comments after the game, he said that actually he's not too worried about a draw. Usually, he'd be fuming about a draw, but I think he's pragmatic in himself. Well, he is pragmatic as a manager anyway, but he kind of knows that this is far from the finished article, but he can't really do much until the new year comes around and the window opens. So, again, it's not pretty. It's far from pretty, really, but as an opening gambit goes in the Premier League, it's not all that bad, is it? It's not, definitely not. I mean, Conte normally, the last time Conte um, joined the team, like in the start of the season, like once the season was underway, I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe a bit more or a bit less. So he likes to start a season off with his team, who he wants, and it, like getting over his ideas early. So for him to come in first game, I think five days in the in the job with only about two or three training sessions before Everton, a nil-nil draw isn't that bad. Obviously, everyone wants to win every game, but it's not that bad, especially with players who aren't yours, who you you know you have to adjust to your system, who don't fit your system the way you want to play it. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You may have said, oh, you could have uh, played a different player here or there, but like I said, with that few short training sessions especially after the team played against Vitesse as well and tired you know fatigue 
would have played a part towards the end of the game because Everton did come back into it. Overall, it's not a bad performance. And I think you're going to see just the longer this season this, it goes on before January, the players that adapt into restart, I think you'll see better performances and better results. Alan, staying with you, the Everton game was feisty. The Vitesse game was also feisty. Is that a coincidence under Conte? Because we weren't really seeing that kind of anger or passion under Nuno. That kind of risk-averse football was on show for us all to see. I know it's a very small sample, but there does seem to be a lot more fight all of a sudden. I think these players understand who Conte is and know that they have to show this. They have to show willing effort, desire, determination, fight, passion. They have to show everything for Conte because if he doesn't see it, he's not one of these. He will drop you. So they understand the man they're playing for, the, the manager you know, who's come in. It's not like, I'm not no disrespect to Nuno, but it's, it's a, a, you know, a higher standard of managers come in. So players know they have to perform to the, and show these capabilities in the minimum to be able to play under this manager. So that's the reason why we're seeing it where we didn't see under Nuno. And Ryan, if we look at the positives first, I think the most obvious one is a clean sheet. After getting pumped by Man United... That's the most minimum thing we needed at Goodison Park, didn't we? You know, if we lose that, which would have been a surprise under Conte anyway, you would have thought, oh, God, like this defence, like, what is it doing to us? But there's a kernel of hope there, isn't there, that if we use that as the bedrock going forward, it should actually help us going forward. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I wanted and the one thing that uh, I said before the game is I wanted to see something different. Obviously, we've got a brand new manager and it, just like saying that, we need to give Conte time. He needs time. We also need to remember that we need to give the players time to adjust during the season to a new manager, to a different system that they've been playing this season, to the manager's demands and wants. So what I saw on Sunday was very we were solid in defence. I thought we was really, really good defensively. I think that's the biggest bonus from me for that game that the defence seemed to communicate throughout the 90 minutes, didn't leave the positions, willing to throw their bodies in front of the ball, putting in the challenges. And like Alan said, under Conte, you've got to give him 110% from minute one to minute 90. He will not accept anything different. And it's the new manager they're trying to impress. Obviously, the window opens less than two months now, so they all want to keep their place in this team. They all want to be playing under a manager of the stature of Antonio Conte. So between now and then, you can imagine every player will put in 110%. They will fight for every ball. They would make, try and make every right decision and try and keep him happy to think, well, maybe I don't need to boost his position yet. Maybe I can wait till the summer. Obviously, most of us don't want that. We want new defenders. But that's what we want from our players. That's, that's all majority of Tottenham fans, if not all Tottenham fans, have wanted from our players is just fight and passion when playing for this club, you've got to show that passion because whoever the manager is, you've still got to give it for us fans who pay ticket, pay for the tickets, buy the merch, do everything like that. We still demand that passion and that energy. So defensively, we were solid as a rock. I was really happy about that. The only bad part about that was the front trio, which I'm sure you'll get on to, Dan, eventually. Well, I'm going to do it now because, Patrick, <laughs> the front three was, well, let's be honest, non-existent again. So, 227 minutes. We could talk about Harry Kane. And I think I'll ask 
Alan a question about that because we haven't had his input across the season. But let's focus on Hume Min Song. He kind of goes under the radar. He has these kind of purple patches of form and we're kind of in the lull again. And I think Kane's taking the heat of when he has a bad performance. He's almost becoming a sort of a free hit for Son at the moment. And it shouldn't really be the case because he didn't really do all that much on Merseyside, did he? No, he didn't. And um, I don't know if it was the crowd because, um, as you probably saw and heard, they were all over him. Yeah, and I that's know, fair. You know, yeah, it goes back to the Gomez right. tackle, which which wasn't his fault. And, you know, the red card got rescinded. So I don't understand why they're on his back, but they are. They're idiots. So they're all over him. So maybe that had something to do with it. But, you know, I don't want to give him too many excuses because as as great as Son is and as much as I love him, he's probably my favourite Spurs player. Um, and I think he's a world-class player. He does have these moments where he will coast and drift in about three or four games and he'll be pretty much non-existent. He does get on the ball, so I'll give him that. And he does try and make things happen. But you'll see him do a step over and knock the ball out of bounds or, you know, his a time has runs and they won't be as sharp or he'd be quite greedy when he could play someone in in a better position. So as much as I love Son, I've still got to be honest and criticise him when he's not up to the, you know, up to the, to the races or up to scratch. And sometimes I feel he can be a bit too greedy or just basically have a crap game, which he did again at Everton. So, yeah, it wasn't great. Kane wasn't great. Lucas Moura probably wasn't great either. So we've got to get some more cohesion and the front three has got to start to click. You know, Kane and Son are two, arguably two of the world's best players in their positions. But at the moment, both aren't really doing or saying much. So, yeah, Conte's got to get the best out of them. It's a bit frustrating because we haven't really had a chance to really get any sort of rhythm now we're on international break. So that's, you know, the timing is not great. But with our fixtures after the international break, we should hopefully see these guys try and get into some sort of form and rhythm and then hopefully we can push on from there. But you're right, Dan, at the moment, Son hasn't really been great and much hasn't been spoke about because all the heat is on Kane right now. Well, Patrick, I'll stay with you because, let's be honest, 227 minutes without shot on target is disgraceful for any football team, Premier League or not. To have a shot, do you know what I mean? At least that's the basic facet of trying to win a football match. I know, it's crazy. And, and, and sorry, sorry, Dan. No, no, that's pretty much it, really. That's the point. So please continue because it, it beggars belief that you're playing, what, that's two and a half Premier League matches. Admittedly, good opposition. You know, West Ham, Man United, Everton. They're not disgraces in themselves. But where is it going wrong? You've got to have a shot on goal, surely. Yeah, and I think this is what I alluded to earlier. We need more creativity in the middle. But it's difficult because we're in a bad run of form where we've been shipping goals left, right and centre. So for us to drop one at Skip or Hoiberg, which will probably be Skip because Hoiberg's not going to get dropped, if we're being honest, uh, to bring in a creative player, we then make sure that middle is definitely going to be a lot lighter in terms of the robustness and the steel that we need in front of the defence. Because if we're being honest, our defence isn't good enough. So it's a, it's a bad conundrum, isn't it? It's like a catch-22. Mm. Yes, we could all bring in a, 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 a much better, creative, attacking player, but then the middle suffers, which means the defence suffers, which means we leak more more goals. So we're going to probably have to upgrade on the Hoiberg-Skip dynamic, which is a bit of a shame because I really like both players. But if we want to push forward and play the way Conte plays, we'll probably need a bit, well, not probably, we'll need more quality there so we can sacrifice one of those spots 
and have more creativity because it is a travesty. And yes, West Ham are a good outfit this year. Man United on a day can beat anyone. And Everton, you know, they're not a great team, but they're one of those teams that can take points off any team on their day, as, we, as we've seen over the last couple of years. They've got quality in that team. They spent a lot of money on that squad. I don't think they're a great team, but of course they can take points off anyone. So, yeah, I mean, Dan, you're right. If you don't score goals, you ain't going to win games. So something needs to give there. And I also feel Kane needs to stop dropping deep now. We've had, you know, we've seen what he can do. We know he can do it. But if Kane's not in the box, there's no one on the edge of those crosses, but there's no one in those dangerous areas to get the shot off on target or obviously to score the goals. Well, let's bring in Alan because obviously we've not had his input across the season regarding Harry Kane. It's what? Nine starts, ten appearances, one goal in the Premier League. I know he's got a bundle in cups, which kind of buffers his record quite substantially. But what's your take on all things HK? Because you could say, oh, his head's in Manchester, which I don't think is the case anymore now that Conte's in the fold. But we've still got a player who's nowhere near what he should be doing. So what's your take? So um, to start with, I thought he was going in the summer. Uh you know, I think most Spurs fans were like, you know, if a public offer comes in, he goes in the summer. We wish him all the best. He's done everything he can. He wants to win trophies. We can understand that. He didn't get that for one reason or another, whether that was Man City not offering the amount or Daniel Levy just not wanting to get rid of him. Um, the gentleman's agreement means nothing in business. He uh, he's representatives himself signed the contract for, I think, it was, how many, I can't remember how many seasons it was now, but. They've done it the, with no buyout clause, so if you don't don't want to sell you, you've got you're going to stay where you are, you know. So that was on them, um, and ever since then, you know, I've said that he wouldn't down tools, and I'm sorry for the first majority of the Premier League, it looks like either his head wasn't in it, or he was making a thing that he couldn't be bothered because he didn't get his chance to go to Man City for trophies. Um, that's not good enough um, under Nuno. You know, it was pretty much that he didn't want to be here. And then Conte comes in and he's, show, and he's saying the right thing, saying that he's really impressed and he wants to do so. That just means that I think he was a bit underhanded in the way he was under Nuno compared to the way he's saying he's going to be with Conte. But even still then, I mean, the game against Everton, he was absolutely poor. I think the, the highlight for him in that game was one cross to regular on the back post yeah. in the first half. That's all I remember him doing. You know, and for the one of the world's best strikers, you should be seeing a lot more than him. Um, for me, world-class strikers, even when they are out of form or not playing to their best, can still affect games massively. And you'll, you know, they'll, you know, tie up defenders or cause problems and just, you know, take a game by the scruff of the neck. And he's just doing none of that at the moment. And the the, the hat trick against, I think it was was it Mura in the in the Conference yeah. League. That's that's not good enough. Three goals against a, a, a small team like that is not good enough. So I hope after the international break, he, you know, picks up form and shows that he wants to play on the content, be here. So, you know, if he start, if he scores 15, 20 goals by the end of the season, you know, most first fans will forgive him. But I won't forget the way he was at the beginning of this season, the way he it looks like he just didn't want to play for us. And he his actions on the pitch, as well as others as well, but was a major uh, factor in you know, Nuno having a problem at this, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season. Okay, Alan, if I was to say 15 Premier League goals for Harry Kane this season, over or under, what are you saying? Considering we're nearly a third of the way through, he's got one. Give me your answer. On this form, still now, I'd say under. Yeah. I really do. The way he hit the way, because like I said, against Everton, 
you've got the new manager in, you're saying the right things. But I don't know if it's the system and we've not got a creative player like Patrick said. I, I think we need a creative person in there. So for me, I'd go 3-5-2, probably drop more to Hanasson and Kane up and have Undembele behind them too and still keep uh, Skip and Hoiberg. That's probably how I would do it. Um and go from there. Uh, and then you might see Kane and Son linking up a bit better because I think the three up front doesn't quite work. It may work as a 4 3 3 and you've got the proper width, but as a narrow three, I don't think it's working. I think they're taken away from each other. So I think a 3 5 2 would be the best for the team we've got at the moment. Okay, let's focus on the few flashpoints that there were from Sunday's game at Everton. Ryan, I know Giello Celso hit the post. But that's not a shot on target according to the rules. So it's not been a great week in addition to that because I'm thinking that late miss against Vitesse, that shocking corner against Everton. Although you see all of that and then there's absolutely no doubt he'll turn it off for Argentina during the international break. Uh, I can never forgive that corner. I've, <laughs> I've, I've never, I've never, never seen something like that. Oh, no, that's uh, a Iago Aspas corner. Do you remember that one for Liverpool against Chelsea? That kind of bad corner, just flat. But yeah, you can't forgive it. It's shocking, isn't it? We, we, we whinge about Christian Eriksen and not hitting the first man. It's just, that makes it absolutely laughable. But anyway, please I continue. Mean, uh, I mean, like I said, it's, what, what was it? The 92nd minute, they've just had a man sent off. A little bit vulnerable at the back, obviously. I think they're the worst team this season at the minute at defending set pieces. And we put in a corner like that. I mean, the effort where he hit the post, that was unfortunate. That was a great effort. And like Patrick said earlier in the show, it could have, like I say, an inch further to the right. We could have left Goodison Park with the 1-0 win. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But then, like I say, to have that corner at the end to completely blow that and give it straight to the... I mean, it wasn't even a header for the first man. It was just a P-roller to him to take his time and get rid. He's, he's Like I say, I think he's, the last two Conference League games we've had, he's had one-on-one situations. I think one he tried... Uh, no, one it was um, a cup game against Burnley, sorry. That's he tried right. to finish with the outside of his left foot instead of just letting it roll over to his right and putting it bottom corner. Then, like say, the Vitesse game, he's somehow managed to hit the keeper's face uh, 10 yards out from goal. It's, it's finishing is not great. His playmaking at the minute is not great. We obviously signed him as a replacement for Christian Eriksen to get in that number 10 position to find Kane, find Son, find Mora or Bergvine, whoever else is out there. That's not happened for him. The biggest problem he's got is he's just exactly the same as Lamella with his injury problems. When he gets an injury, he's out for months and he's just got no right foot. So he's easy to play against for the opposition. They know which way he's going to go. They know how he's going to play. And it just makes everything so easy. But for some reason, when he goes away with Argentina, I don't know if it's because he's more comfortable that he's, he's with his countrymen, he's speaking the same language with them, they eating the same food, drinking the same whatever they drink. You see him and Lamella coming with him all the time to training. I don't know what it is they drink, but it, it's, I don't called, know if... it's, it's, it's called mate. That's mate. it. Mate. Mate. Yeah, yeah, Mate. Yeah, yeah, so you can imagine a squad of 24 Argentinians drinking that every morning. Which uh, It must just be comfortable for him to yeah. just go to Argentina and speak the same language for the same, for the whole two weeks. Obviously not he, at the minute, I don't know what his English is like, but you can imagine him still struggling 
in and out of English. But we that's that's all we want. We just want that Lacelso. We just want a confident Lacelso who can grab the game by the scruff of its neck and create chances or score the goal. Obviously, when uh, Delhi was in that position, the prime Delhi, the the young hungry Delhi, he was getting fifteen between fifteen and twenty goals a season. That's what you want from the guy in your number ten. You want to take a bit of the responsibility away from the strikers and chip in with goals. But like Alan and Patrick have said, I, I, we we are now desperate for a, not just a creative midfielder, but someone to take that space away from Kane. So Kane's got no other choice now but to stay up top. He's not got that space behind him to drop in and play as a creative midfielder to then when Regulon and Emerson have the ball out wide, they're aiming for Son against the likes of Ben Godfrey or Michael Keane, where unless it's an... <clears throat> pinpoint inch perfect cross it's never gonna reach son so we need harry kane i think during the euros i think someone i think i've heard over the weekend during the euros conte said if he was managing harry kane he would make sure he stayed up top he would make sure he is the man in the box there waiting to get the goals so hopefully we do see him bring that in hopefully he can work with kane but again it's just frustrating that he's come in now and now half of the first team squad have gone off in internationals again three weeks after the bloody last one so don't help him but all we can do now is just hope that the players understand what Conte wants like I say it's until we can get in January and have that uh, number 10 the CEM just behind the strikers we're just going to have to I think mix between Ndombele Lo Celso and Delhi and see where that can get us to January. Yeah, I think it's a case of just see what sticks really. But before we get to the other flashpoint, Patrick, let's just stick with Lo Celso quickly because it's clearly apparent that he's low on confidence. Is there the danger that you'll end up mentally breaking the player? That the more issues he has, like the bad corner, like the bad miss against the test, that the more kind of things that don't go his way, he might be beyond repair? Yeah, it's a strange one because... As as we've all said here, like myself, Alan, Ryan, and you, like when he goes and plays for Argentina, the guy shows world class ability. I'm not saying he's a world class player, but he has moments where you know Argentina are stacked, and this guy's consistently getting man of the match performances. So we know that the quality's there, but I just don't get it when he puts on a Spurs shirt, one on one against, let's be honest, subpar goalkeepers. And you're whacking it straight at the keeper. It's it's really strange. Or, you know, like um, Ryan said, 92nd minute, we're on the ascendancy, Goodison Park. The crowd are really worried. They've had a man sent off. We've got a corner. We could put something into the box or into a dangerous area and potentially go on and win the game. And he flipping pivots it. It's one of the most embarrassing corners I've ever seen. I mean, I was getting bantered on Twitter earlier. People were, like tagging me saying, what the fuck is this? And <laughs> like... I can't. There's no defending it. And no. the is, I've defended. There's I've defended Lacelso this year and said, you know what? I like him. I like him as a player. I really want to see, you know, what's going on this year. And if he doesn't produce this year, then fair enough. But when I see stuff like that, I can't really defend it or justify it. There's a page now called Stop It Lacelso, and every time he has a howler <laughs> or messes up, they put it on there, <laughs> and and it's literally become a highlight reel of flipping bloopers. So I just I don't know, man. I, but Hopefully, I mean, we've got a world-class manager now in Conte. Someone needs to put an arm around him. We know the quality's there. 
it's a bit of a shame. We paid fifty million for this guy, Dan, as you said, he was meant to be the Celso's replace. Uh, sorry, Ericsson's replacement. All I saw was great clips and all these people saying how amazing he is. You know, we've got a good one. Uh, people were saying that we did the better deal out of him and Bruno Fernandez. You know, there were so <laughs> many people saying all these great things about him. And so far, other than the goal against Man City, I can't really remember him doing anything of any quality or I know he had a decent game against some conference league team this year but I'm talking about Premier League or decent opposition probably the only game I remember him doing something is when he came on against Man City and he scored the second goal where we won 2-0 yeah. other than that I don't I don't remember Lasso doing anything of any note I really wanted to do well I don't want to get onto him I don't want to be one of these guys slating him every time he does something bad but it's hard to defend him when he's doing stuff like that but going back to your thing about confidence I don't know man he's a top level professional he plays for his country week in and week out whenever they play. He's at a good team. He's at a big team with good players around him. He needs to find something within himself and, and, and start producing. Otherwise, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? And you won't get back mm. in that team if you're performing like that. There's no way. Well, especially not with Conte at the realm. But, Alan, finally, what did you make of the decision to reverse the Richardson penalty award? Obviously, it went in our favour. Rafa's comments after the game alluded to the fact that if it takes place in the middle of the pitch, it's a foul. But surely, Lloris couldn't make that kind of tackle in the middle of the pitch because he can't use his hands. So surely, that's a nonsense statement. Yeah, of course, it's a nonsense statement. I mean, I don't understand what he's trying to get out with that. But you could see when it initially happened, you instantly think the worst, don't you? Because it's very quick. But when you slow it down, it, Lloris gets to the ball. He takes the ball first and then the player. So a keeper always gets the ball first. It's, it's not a foul. It's not a penalty. So, you know... Back before VAR, that would have been uh, that would have been a penalty regardless. But I'm glad VAR is around to make sure that those decisions are overturned. Um, so yeah, for me, Loris again, you know, although we've conceded quite a few goals, but he's looked very steady this season. He's stopped us from embarrassing results, and he's kept us in, you know, kept us winning what, the one nils early on because we weren't playing great even in them. So I think Loris is having a very decent season, and uh, you know, hopefully long may it continue because. Galini's not it in regards to a backup keeper. For me, he's not good enough. So I just hope we can keep hold of Lloris and he keeps doing what he's doing. But it was never, you know, when you look back at it, he's taken the ball clearly. So for me, you know, it's just probably Rafa Benitez being Rafa Benitez, you know, coming up with some really weird statements like he used to when he was Liverpool manager. I remember some really weird things. But yeah, definitely was a great, you know, got to the ball first, great save. But Richarlison was just awful that game. He was doing everything he could to just milk everything, trying to get people sent off. So I think Rafa Benitez needs to look at his own players before he worries about a uh, Hugo Lloris good save. Absolutely. Right, time to do the admin now. There's no show next week, as we're now in the dreaded international break of doom. <laughs> so even I need a week off from time to time. So that's going to be the case. We'll be back in a fortnight. But tonight I need to thank my three Pod Squad members. Alan, a cracking debut. I hope you enjoyed that one and would like to join us sometime soon. Yeah, it was different to what I've done first podcast. So, yeah, it was good. Uh, obviously, I know Ryan and Patrick, so it's all good. Lovely yeah, stuff. Good to be on here. Thanks for offering me. That's right, mate. Solid performance. Ryan, thanks for your time again this evening. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yes, it was great. Thank you. Obviously, working with Alan's not the fun, but it's all right, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Don't fall out, chaps. We haven't finished yet. And Patrick, <laughs> thanks for running the channels this evening and wearing that captain's armband. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Ryan's great, obviously. Um, you know, my boy is fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, it's been great, man. It's been great. It's been fun.
fun. I, I always have fun on here, and when I'm joined with quality guests, it, it can only be a good thing. So, no, it's been brilliant. Top man. Right, we'll be back in a fortnight. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, and until next time, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.